All right, thank you for that this morning. If you have your Bibles, just keep them open, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And I would encourage you, if you don't have one, maybe you're newer and have been coming, to get a Bible. It's good to have that and have it with you so we can look at it. We're gonna, we always look at the verses that we, we read from. And uh, I want to share a thought from this passage of Scripture this morning. Um, you know, you, you, you've heard this before, I'm sure. Mistakes are great teachers. How many of you have ever heard something to that effect, right? You learn from your mistakes. We hear phrases like, those that don't learn from the past are destined to repeat it, right? Um, there's just one problem with learning from your mistakes. You know what it is? That you made the mistake in the first place and that you had to learn from that mistake and pay that consequence in the first place. It is a part of life, and I get it. We should learn from our mistakes. Remember what Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing the same way and expecting different results. Yeah. A lot of people live in, in insanity. I think I've done it myself as well. But what is the best way to learn from mistakes? You ready? Learn from the mistakes of others. Okay, then you bypass it in the first place. You say, but pastor, that's not my calling. My calling is to be someone that learns from my mistakes. It's a bad calling. You might not want to take that phone call. We're going to see that today. The Corinthians, that the Corinthian church that Paul wrote to here, um, they were a very, they were, they, was, Corinth was a very wicked city. There was a lot going on. It was a very prosperous city. But there was a lot of sin in the city. In fact, their worship revolved around uh, prostitution, immorality. And so could you imagine you're going there and you're trying to teach them the truth of the gospel. These people are living a, 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 a form of worship that involves a gross type of, of immorality. In fact, uh, there was a phrase they would use when someone lived wickedly, particularly if they were a drunkard, that they were acting like a Corinthian. So... Um, it didn't have, the city didn't have a good reputation. The problem was the church was struggling. And Paul, God had Paul write this to this specific church because of all the different sin that was in that. And by the way, you know, we live in a corrupt society. We understand that. Um, and, and, and we don't control that. That's not the problem. The problem is when the sins of the world are started, starting to be brought into the church and to be accepted in the church. And by the way, that's what's happening. There's a lot of churches, and I'm not trying to be critical or mean-spirited here, but what they're doing is thinking we're going to reach people that live outside the, you know, that live outside the walls of this church and within the, the blocks of our city by bringing that type of thing into the church. Can I just tell you something? That doesn't work. And number two, it's wrong. That's wrong. We're supposed to live a Christian life. And so we want to escape by that. The Corinthian church was not doing that. And I'm not going to give you the details. They were allowing immoral behavior within the members of the church. And it was open. They were acting like immature believers. There was division in the church. The leaders were, you know, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of this one. And the spiritual ones were, I'm of Jesus. Okay, so everybody had their little group. They were doing the Lord's Supper wrong. There was an abuse of spiritual gifts. All these things are mentioned earlier in the chapter. You can read it. So there was a lot of issues that they, were, that they were doing, and that's leading us up to this. So now they're going to, he's trying to teach them to get on board 
And he's going to give them an example that they should look at. And it's the example of the Israelites when they were, when they were, uh, when God brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness and tried to get them into the promised land. These were going to serve as a warning for them to, to become mature in their faith. It was a warning for them as they were maturing in their faith to be cautious in their lifestyle. By the way, we're, very, we're not very cautious in our society, are we? But the message from this chapter should resonate with us as well. Whether you are, you're new in the faith and you're growing. Whether you're, you've, you've been around for a while and, and, and not in a proud way, but you're a little more stable in your faith and you have a little bit more spiritual maturity. Or maybe you've been on that road and you're struggling with some things. These are things we need to remember and to be careful so that we can continue to grow, that we, we will not maybe struggle and we can be fruitful in our lives. He wants us to remember, look at verse 12. There's a couple things before we get into the message here that he wants us to understand and remember. Look at verse 12. He goes, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Regardless of where you are at in your faith, you could fail. I could fail. Greater men than you and I, greater ladies than you, and not I, uh, I'm not a lady, um, at least not today, maybe tomorrow, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm kidding about that, right? I'm not a biologist, so let's not figure that one out. But, but greater people, let's, there you go, let's just generalize it. Greater individuals than us have, have, have fallen. And after he gives them the warnings we're going to go through, the example we're going to go through, he goes, hey, hey, take heed. Because sometimes we hear about someone making a mistake, and here's what we say. I'll never do that. That's not me. I'm too smart for that. That's usually a sign you're ready to go right into it, okay? Verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. We're all tempted in these areas. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are all able? But will with the temptation also provide a way to escape that you may be able to wear it, to bear it. Regardless of the temptations we face, fate, we can always fight, yep. right? There's nothing that's going to come upon you that you're going to say, this was just too strong. Go back to the verse before, that he that thinks he stand. So we have to be very careful. He says, you don't have to fall. I'm never going to allow you to be put in a place where you have to do what, that which is wrong. Now, sometimes we put ourselves in our, that place, but that's a message for another day. And then he just says in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Regardless of the sin that attacks our flesh, and he's talking about idolatry here, we can always flee. See, our problem is we want to see how close we can get to things. And when we get too close, we're getting ourselves in a place where we're going to have problems. But to encourage them and to encourage us to be cautious, we are shown the examples, the example of Israel. By the way, it's not a good example. They had issues. And if we're wise, we'll learn from their mistakes. So what are two things, and we're going to look at the scripture here, that we can learn from their mistakes? First of all, we can learn how to respond Correctly. We're going to look at the verses in a minute. The children, the Israelites were God's people. Um, 
God had done great things for them to get them out of Egypt. He had protected it for them, and he had provided for them. He had been good to them, better than they deserve, as God has been better to us than we deserve. But here's the problem. They did not respond correctly to the good things that God was doing for them. They took it for granted. Now, let's just be real honest here. All of us take things for granted. Come on, we all do. We all, you know, look, we have, we live in a country where you can get, like, you don't even have to make the food. You can drive through somewhere and get it super quick. How many know what I'm talking about? And if you go to the wrong place to eat, you not only get the food, you get other things. We'll move on from that. But what do we do? We complain, like, I've been waiting for, like, 45 seconds. It's not done yet? Right? I mean, we complain if the air conditioner is, off the frit, is on the fritz. It's like, how am I? It's, it's 85 degrees. How am I supposed to survive? But we spiritually bring this into our spiritual life as they did. Look at some of the blessings that they did not respond well to that we should. They didn't respond very well to their salvation. Look at verse 1. There's a little phrase there. And all passed through the sea. Verse 2, and we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What was the picture of them going through the Red Sea? It's a picture of salvation. God parted it. They did nothing. All they had to do was respond to what God did to bring them out of bondage, to bring them out of Egypt towards a better place. They just had to follow through. But God did it all. That's salvation. We're not, we're, look it, by the way, before we're saved, all of us are in bondage to sin. Doesn't mean we're addicts or anything like that, but sin dominates us. It, it's, it's just who we are. We don't even understand uh, right living, and the fact of the matter is we can't even live right. We don't have the grace of God to do that to the extent that he wants, and then he saved us. Yep. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. Yeah. But how do we respond to that? How are you responding to your salvation? Are you thankful that God did that for you? You know, sometimes we just say it's so, oh, yeah, I'm saved. Well, wait a minute. Think about that for a minute. All that means when you say, yeah, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. All that means is this. At one time, you were on your way to hell. And Jesus came and died for our sins. And you trusted him, and he forgave you forever for every wrong thing you've ever done. Oh, and not only that, when you die, you get to go to heaven forever. Salvation is kind of a big deal. And so I hope that we never get over that. If you're not thankful for what God has done in saving you, you're going to struggle in a lot of areas in your life. And they did. They forgot how they forgot so quickly that God had brought them out of Egypt. They were slaves. They had no freedom. They had no future. But you understand that all changed when they went through that Red Sea? Now they were no longer in bondage. And now they could look forward to a future, one that God had laid out for them that was pretty good. They forgot their salvation. They forgot their sanctification. Verse 3, it says that they did eat that spiritual meat. I'm sorry, their satisfaction. They ate that spiritual meat. No, that's just another way of God just saying that now he's giving them something that will satisfy them. You know, you can eat a meal, right? And it's satisfying. 
You eat breakfast? How many of you had breakfast? And you say, man, that was good. That, 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 what do we say? That hit the spot. But now what are you thinking? It's 11.15. It's going to go here. We get out of here at church and fight the parking. We could be to lunch by 12. Okay? That was not completely satisfying forever. That was temporary. Do you know when you get saved, God gives us spiritual meat in a sense. It's something that satisfies us for a very long time. By the way, if you're not living a spiritual life, you're not getting that satisfaction. Okay, and I'm not going to sing that. That song just because I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in church, all right? So, you know, I can't get no. Anyhow, uh, that's not what we're going to sing. Brother Grandy, can we get a special next week with that? I love that song. Uh, but we have no satisfaction. We, we do things in life, and it's like it's okay for a while, and then we're right back to the drudgery, and it's like, is, does any of this have meaning? Yes, it does when you're with Christ. And by the way, if your life seems empty, meaningless, no hope, no future, no satisfaction, Jesus Christ has something better for you. We just have to get on board. right? He's not going to force it on us. And these people forgot what he had done. I love the security that's in Christ. That satisfies me. When I was a young person, before I got saved, thinking about, man, what does the future hold? What am I going to do with my, all that stuff? And then I got saved, and all of that just changed. My whole life was going to be about loving God and serving God, and he'll fill in the details. And thank, thank the Lord he did fill in those details. Everybody's looking for significance. You know where your, significant, your significance is found? It ought to be found in who you are in Christ. Oh, you know, I'm trying to find it in my job and in this and in that. Not going to work. That's fleeting. You know what else they forgot? They just forgot their Savior. Verse 4, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You see, if we think about our salvation and we think about the satisfaction of salvation, it's going to naturally just push us right back to the Savior. How important is Jesus to you? Well, you know, Pastor, I got the bumper sticker on my car. I know, and you cut me off. That's why so you don't have, somebody came one time, hey, let's pass out a, I love, you know, I love our church Sunday. Let's give them bumper stickers. Like, No. I don't even want to put our name on the side of the buses the way some of our guys drive, okay? Just kidding. I didn't put, you know, when we got the shuttle bus, right, for the parking. By the way, we have a shuttle bus. You can park at Blue Line, and it's wonderful. I'm like, when we get the shuttle bus, I'm going to be the first to drive it. First Sunday, I'm driving for the off-site parking. And then I'm, and they're like, hey, we're going to put the name of the church on the side? I'm like, no, no, we're just going to leave it alone. And sure enough, I drive an electric car. Think about electric cars. If you hit the gas pedal, they go. You know what I'm talking about? I forgot that it wasn't an electric car. It was a Ford. And I pulled out onto Pacific Avenue, and I thought I could beat that car pretty easily. All I remember is beep, beep, beep. I'm like, just tell them I'm a Presbyterian. I'm not sure. But anyhow, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, the Savior. Just because you have a bumper sticker doesn't mean you love Jesus. Okay, let's remember how wonderful he is. So those are the blessings, but not just the, not, not only did they not, how they didn't respond, we have to learn from number two, 
We have to learn how to reject corruption. You see, certain things ruin good things. How many of you know that? Right? Something good. Oh, yeah, you know, it just, it just it's not working. We don't want to corrupt. We want to reject that. Look at verse 5, what he says. After he did all these things for him, he says in verse 5, but with many of them, read the story in the law books, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. It didn't end well for them. That word overthrown would be a form of our word catastrophe. Didn't turn out very well for them. God was not complete, pleased with them, and it started out with them uh, not understanding his blessings, but then they started to get involved in things that were corrupting. By the way, the, they got punished for it. That's pretty serious. The worst thing when we don't do wrong isn't that maybe bad things happen in our life. You know what the worst thing is? That we displease God. Yeah. Right? You know, there's that verse, I believe it's one of the chapters in number, and it says, and the people complained, and the, the next phrase, and it displeased the Lord. Yeah. When we love him, we don't want to displease him. Right. When we love him, we want to do things that are honoring him. And, I, I, and I'm, not, I'm not sitting here, I've displeased God before. We all have. But we need to be very careful and understand that, hey, when we do those things, it's not just a small thing. Our Savior cares about it. Yeah. And so we want to honor him and glorify him. But what were some of the things that they did that they did not reject that we need to reject? Let me give you a couple of those and then we'll be done. First of all, we need to reject by not lusting evilly. Yeah. Look to verse 6. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. You think of lust, we usually think of immorality or whatever. The word just simply means desire. And he says you need to be careful that you don't give in to your desires, that your desires don't, don't, don't drive your life, and we shouldn't desire things that are evil. Let's just say things that are wrong. Yeah. Now, here's the problem with that, okay? We live in the flesh. And what does the flesh desire? The, if you default to the flesh, the flesh is always going to go towards the wrong. It's just a default. That's why you need to be proactive in your spirituality. If you're not proactive in your spirituality, what happens is you naturally default back to acting on the flesh instead of pursuing spirituality where the Spirit of God will help you to overcome that and help you to live and want to desire things that are right. It's what you give into. But all of us struggle with that. They allowed their lust to control their actions. And it wasn't just a, look, the, our, our flesh is always going to, if someone mistreats you, your flesh is automatically going to say, get back at them, get back at them, get back at them. Okay, but don't do it. Right? So we need to be careful that we rebuke our lust. It's when we give in to them that it's, super, that, that it's really wrong. We have to fight that. All of us have sinful desires. All of us have these, these lusts, so how can we make sure? A couple thoughts. Just know your lust and make provision to have victory over them. You know what your weakness is. By the way, how does Satan tempt us? You know, I've taught it before. Satan tempts us. This is in, in James chapter 1. He tempts us through our lust, through our desires. And all of us, there are certain things that are inherently 
uh, uh, all of us uh, uh, have desires for, for wrong things. There's certain things. But for you specifically, there are some things that would be more of a temptation for you because that was more of a desire for you in your life than it was for me. You know who knows that? Satan. Think of fishing. You go fishing, you don't just grab what, you know, baloney, put it on a, on a, on a, a hook and catch, catch things, right? It doesn't work that way. What are you trying to catch? Whatever. Okay. What kind of fish? Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate that. You know, when I go fishing, I'm trying to catch cats. It's just, you know. We did go fishing. Tim, was it you? We went fishing one time, or was it Brother Ross? And they caught a bird. That, remember that little bridge your dad used to like to fish under out by Bishop? We were with somebody, and they cast, and they threw it too high, and they caught a bird. I'm like, I'm not eating a bird. I'm not even going to eat fish. I just like to catch them. But, you know, you choose, I'm trying to catch this type of fish. There's a certain thing that they're attracted to. By the way, you know what that is. And so you know what you do? If you know what your weakness uh, towards sin is, do everything you can to make provision not to be involved with that. Amen. Amen. Stay away from anything that would feed your lust. Well, Pastor, I'm not going to do long, wrong, you know. Uh, uh, I had a relative one time years ago, and they were having some issues, and they had to go to counseling. And the counselor told them that the way that they could overcome their drinking was to go spend a little time in a bar and don't drink. I'm like, you know, that, that, that counselor should be fired. That's like saying, I don't want to rob money. I don't want to steal money. Well, what you need to do is go in at night when the bank's closed, open the vault, and hang around money. That's like telling a person on, that's on a diet to say, I need you to go hang out at a buffet. I'm digging in. I'm going to, I'm going to take the drink, I'm going to steal the money, and I'm going to eat the food. Why would you put yourself in front of that? Let's be very, very careful, right? If I know that's my weakness, and I know when I'm around this or that or that, my weakness is stronger, my desire is stronger, guess what I'm going to do? Stay away from it. Well, you know, I was just tempted and I couldn't get over it. No, 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 no. You put yourself in temptation. Okay? Anyhow. Be careful. Okay, all right. This, this isn't going to be popular, but we'll go. We'll be fine. Be careful about technology because it's a great feeder. I probably haven't said this in two months. Can I say it again? And I know, you, hey, Pastor, I don't want to hear it. I know, just humor me. Teenagers don't need cell phones. Yeah, they don't. There is nothing good about a teenager with a cell phone. Let, let me say it. Let me, let, me, let me make it like, I want you to really understand how I feel about the subject. There is zero good about a teenager with a cell phone. Zero. Not good. Our kids, never. 18, you get one if I feel like you're ready for it. Okay? By the way, my kids have all been fine. They don't sit. You know what? And, and, and There's a can of worms, and I want to close it. I'm not Popeye, and I don't need the spinach. But, but the reason some of you wouldn't take your cell phone away from your kid is because you know how they'd act. And the fact that they would act like that shows you how bad it is. You say, you know, but pastor, I want my kid to communicate with me. 
when they're not away. Okay, I'll give you that. Get them something they totally do not want, a flip phone. Do you not remember how texting was on a flip phone? It's like, I'm going to text you. H. E. L. L. O. Send. It's like, forget it. I'll, I'll send them a postcard. It's faster. Okay? They don't need it. And by the way, you be careful as an adult. Yeah. Checking out your old girlfriend or boyfriend on Facebook. But let me just tell you, that picture they have posted was from 20 years ago. They don't look anything like that. Okay? The point is, be careful. I've had guys in the past, they'll come in like I'm struggling with, you can guess what it is, and I'm like, Are, do you really want help with this? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, you go down tomorrow, get rid of your cell phone, and get yourself a flip phone until you get over this. But pastor, I don't, okay, I mean, I just don't know how serious you are about it. Let's be very careful. You know, there's things you can put in place to help yourself in that, but if you know specific, the whole point is if you know that, boy, this is my struggle, do whatever you can to make sure that you don't put yourself to where it's going to become stronger because you're putting yourself in a bad position. But anyhow, we'll move on now. Next, if we're going to, if we're going to reject corruption, let's not worship playfully. Look at verse 7. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them. As it is written, now he's going to tell you how, what it was involved in their idolatry. You ready? The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He attaches their idolatry to this, eating, drinking, and playing. You say, Pastor, prove that. What, what was the issue there? What was the first thing that happened when Moses went to the mount to get the Ten Commandments? Hey, you know what? We don't know where Moses is. Let's build a calf. We'll worship the calf. And what did they do as soon as they were done worshiping? They had a pagan holiday. And what did they do? They ate, they drank, and they played. They brought all that nonsense into their worship. That's a problem. That tells us they did not take their worship seriously. Why in the world do we want to attach that kind of nonsense to worshiping God? Because it's diametrically opposed to God. We need to be careful about that. We have to be serious about God. God, God, God's not to be trifled with. We, 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 we're so, we, we, we so, I don't even want to use the word disrespectful to God. But we need to be very careful. I'm not saying we need to come in here and crawl to our seats. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, is God a big deal? Then maybe our worship should be a big deal. And by the way, worship is not some kind of beady music and all that nonsense. Worship is when we ascribe worth to God. It's a principle of the heart. And I don't want you to come here and sing this song and you feel good and you go out and you, you act like you never knew who he was. They did not take their, they didn't take their worship seriously, but they did take their worldliness uh, seriously. You know the reason why we want to attach this to worship? It's because we like it. Now look, let me just explain something. If you're new here, I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I'm just, it is, it is who I am. So he, what, what's, what churches are doing now, you know what they do during the summer? Their sermon series is on movies. So all of them. You know, learning truths at the movies. What? The, you know, I saw one where uh, 
they, what they were doing, I saw several that did this, to be honest with you. They're like the Barbie movie. Like, we're going to teach you spiritual truths from Barbie and Ken. Hey, can I teach you one? Ken's effeminate and he needs to man up. And Barbie is a little, I'll use the word high maintenance. Okay? It's like, wait a minute. I, I, I kind of got the idea that at church we should learn from the Bible. Right? You know, uh, Mario Brothers. And, and then the Toy Story. The wife is dressed like um, Barbie. Barbie's everywhere. I think she's omnipresent, really. And then her husband, the pastor, dressed like uh, Woody. He's a wimp. His wife talked him into that. My wife said, you know, I think you should dress like Ken. I'm like, no. Well, she'll get mad. Oh, oh no. I'm dressing like Ken. Okay? But the whole point is because we think that's cute. And more people are going to come to church because, you know, there's a dinosaur in the foyer. If we had one, I'd let them eat the people that don't tithe. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Can we strike that from the record? Thank you. You know what? I, I kind of think when people come to church, they just want to hear from the Bible. Right? And I don't want to just, you know, whatever we, so anyhow, I don't even know where we got there. But pray for Ken. Another thing we need to be careful, and I'll hustle, we're about done, about living sensually. Look what they said in verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. You know what happened there, and I won't go into it. See, they weren't supposed to worship like the false people of the land. So you know what the, you know what the false people of the land would do to, catch, to get them in? They'd send their pretty girls over there. And the guys were like, and they started intermarrying. So what happened? They were all, coming, they were all becoming Baal worshipers, right? That's, that, that, that's the doctrine of, Baal, uh, of uh, Balaam. Remember, God would not let him curse Israel, so he told Balak, he goes, but here's what you can do. If you can start intermarrying with them, God will curse them. So be very careful. Sensuality is everywhere, Right? By the way, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm, and maybe I just, I don't know, I didn't sleep well last night. <laughs> protect your children. Our school systems are doing nothing but promoting this nonsense. And if you were here, you heard the illustration on Thursday, and it was absolutely true. First day of school. What gender do you think you are? Now, if I was a kid, I would have said, um, I'm not a biologist. Most ridiculous thing ever. They're trying to teach it. Let's be very, very careful about that. Let's make sure that we're not complaining constantly. Look at verse 10. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured. We start to complain, right? When we're not thankful for the three things I mentioned, our salvation, satisfaction, and savor, so we turn to complaining. That's what happens. By the way, you know how long it took them before they started griping when they came out of um, Egypt. Years ago, I had a message. It's called, The Party's Over So Soon. Three days. 
They started griping. By the way, you know what happens when you start to complain? You look to the past. And it's like, you know, Egypt wasn't that bad after all. We, we, we ate melons. Like, well, you had watermelon? Cool. You know, shackle me up. Right? It's not, no, they forgot the bad parts, right? They forgot that um, they were slaves. They forgot they had no future. They forgot the mistreatment. They forgot the long hours without pay. Why? Because they were complaining. What's the point? Let's learn. The Bible is a book of teachings. It teaches us principles. It also teaches us from the people of the Bible. And so the two kind of go together, right? Whenever we're not responding correctly to the good things God, are, God is doing, we have a tendency to start going this way, and we start accepting the things that aren't good for us. And that, does, leads us to, that leads us to a place that's not very, very good. Look at what happened to the children of Israel. Forty years in the wilderness, going in circles until everybody who was over 18-year-old old died. I mean, they were having multiple funerals every single day. Let's learn from their mistakes so we don't have to learn from ours. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for a minute. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know I went a couple minutes later than normal. I'm sorry for that. We need to be, we need to be serious about our spirituality. That's the big thing. And if we're not driven by spirituality, we will be driven by something else. You know what that is? It goes back to our desires and our lust. Right? It goes back to the old illustration. Am I going to be more spiritual or am I going to be more flesh-driven? It depends. Which one do you feed? If I'm, if I'm thankful and constantly thinking about my salvation, my satisfaction in Christ, and everything is about my Savior, it's going to help me to reject these things that would ruin our lives. If you read the law books, it didn't go well for Israel. It didn't. Not at all. And the reason God tells us that is because that's not what he wants for our life. Do you know God wants you to have the best life? Uh, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life, and it gets better. And that they might have it more abundantly. He says, not just life, man, it's great. That starts at salvation. Let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian today? You can't be thankful for something you don't have. Here's the question. If you were to die today, are you 100% for sure that you would go to heaven or do you have any doubt? With nobody looking around, you know, pastor, that's me. I wouldn't be 100% sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven, but that's something I'd like to know. Pastor, would you pray for me? With nobody looking, if you just raise your hand and I'll see it. Anybody at all? Let's stand together. Pianist is going to play. If God spoke to you about anything at all, why don't you come? Maybe you've rejected, but you're, you're just not thankful for all that God's doing. And I know that's all of us. I, I get to that point. And I know that I, I, need to, I need to be more mindful about what God wants to do. I need to be more thankful for Jesus. Why don't you come as the piano plays?